1: Hello, and
0: welcome to the Moving Iron Podcast. Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to help your salespeople sell more stuff and manage their client base, as well as process their deals faster, check out Arrow at HeyArrow.com. Dot com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, Sean is nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. So, Sean, we had our first big blast of, of cold weather. We've had some cold weather, but not this cold. We had uh, yesterday morning when I was going into work, it was 10 degrees. So, you're uh, not that it's unnormal to have 10 degrees like that, but the erraticness of the weather that you've been talking about here because today's high is 64. So, it went from low, you know, a low of 10, high of Twenty-eight or thirty, and, and now we're going to be uh, sixty-four. You know, in, in going into uh, going into the weekend here, so looks like uh, that erraticness that you've been talking about is kind of on its way.
1: Yeah, and that thrashing of te- of weather volatility of temperatures is going to continue through the end of the month. Remember, we had this sudden stratospheric warming event that just you know it totally stirred up the atmosphere. So the atmosphere is all is doing this right now, and you get this erratic behavior. Big shifts of cold, of warm, of you know historic um, storms hitting the northwest. Uh, some of them, some of the worst flooding they've ever seen there. So it's part of the transition away from the weather pattern that we had in October, which was super warm, to the pattern we're going to establish here in early December, which is a more persistent cold winter pattern. And we're, but we're still in the th- we're still in the throes of this. Back and forth action. And so this is going to be, so So, for an example, here in Florida, I'm sure no sympathy from anyone on your show, but you know, we did get down like in the upper fifties a few days ago. Man, that's Today, it's going to be in the eighties. Yeah. Now, next Thursday, uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, we're actually going to be in the upper thirties here in Florida. So, so once again, these big undulating thrashing about is, is part of the transition to the cold winter pattern Um and so that is a symptom and a function of this process, but ultimately, Casey, it's gonna resolve itself to a persistent cold weather winter pattern that we've been talking about.
0: Yep. So all right. That is going to uh have its have its time here, and I think it's gonna be just looking out here, I can start seeing those patterns starting to already kind of come together as you look at the long long term forecasts and those kind of things. So Right, let's jump over and talk about cotton a little bit here. What's going on there? Cotton has got uh, – it's still up there, man. It's still – you know like right now I'm looking at it, it's trading at $1.17 right now. Um, it opened at $1.18, so we're off a penny. Um, but, man, it is still just up there high. So talk about what's going on in cotton, man.
1: Well, the Chinese brought it up here by buying everything they could, and now the market is trying to determine uh, – Have we done enough to factor that in? And at this price level, Casey, we're going to hurt demand. We're going to hurt cotton demand. There's no way global cotton demand is going to, uh, absent Chinese demand, actual consumer demand is going to hold up. It's not. So what the market's trying to do is say, okay, China, you want to come in here and buy all this cotton and we have to take, uh, we have to ration the end user demand down to compensate for the fact that you're taking all this cotton from us. And that's, I, I think the market has done that, Casey. I think this you know, one fifteen, one twenty area, I think kind of I think it's at the right unless something new comes along, I think that's a price level that will ration enough demand to put some bushel uh some bales back into the ending stocks globally and account for this crazy buying that we've seen from the Chinese. So like I said right now I think the market has done and is doing what it needs to do. And I don't know any cotton farmer around that's not going to be planting more cotton if they can get away with it at these price levels they're Absolutely. going to just yeah going to, they're going to do it and um, and and you know that's a bearish factor as we move into the uh spring planting season so yeah.
0: you know there's one of these that i've been watching a little bit and you know you and i've talked about it just a little bit we haven't really spent much time on it but lumber you know you look at lumber right now and it's it's down significantly from what it was three or four months ago i mean Three or four months ago, it was over $1,000 on linear foot. Now you're looking at, you know, seven It's been kind of hanging out there, right? It's not really gone anywhere, not really done anything. And, you know, you, you look at the reports where housing starts are, are down a little bit because more people are spending money on buying a, you know, remodeling a, a home or something like that. And and uh, I guess talk about lumber a little bit and what you see there.
1: You have to remember, we, we had this whole... Uh tariff dispute with Canada that initially got this bull market going several years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we went into the virus, where every lumber mill shut down, and all the inventory was depleted, and then the housing market went crazy Right, (laughs) once we reopened, and (laughs) everybody says, "I I need lumber right now, and everyone says, well, we don't have it. And by the way, you know, we're not going to get our lumber mill going for six months or so, at least. And, and even then probably not to maximum capacity because hiring people, everyone's, you know, the new rules. We don't, and so we had this crazy bubble, this, I think with the 1600, 18, yep. whatever, I forgot the exact number. It was a crazy yeah. bubble. Yep. And finally, everybody opened up, maximized, you know, lumber output. We were importing lumber from everybody who was willing to sell it to us. And we got it, finally got ourselves an oversupply. And remember, the average ha- cost of a house, I believe, the average cost of a house was up sixty five thousand yeah. uh, dollars in one year because of the cost of lumber. You know, what happened? People just say, you know what? I'm not. I'm, I'm canceling. I'm not building. You know, I'm just. I'm walking away. So, so you got a demand response. So the market crashed down to like five hundred ish. It's kind of been bouncing around between five hundred seven hundred, kind of consolidating this boom bust cycle that we're in, and. Uh, I really don't see that trading range changing. I think we're going to have a long cold winter. Uh, that means that the typical construction you would see in the spring is going to be delayed further into the late spring, early summer. And I think the housing market's peaking out. I mean, we had we had you know just this massive uh, response to the virus and people wanting to stay home and, and speculators buying into the market. Now, of course, production's growing like crazy. So. I just think if you look at the lumber market, that could be a high, Casey. We may not see again for a very, very long time. I mean, like that could be one of these decade tops, 20 year tops that you look back and say, we still haven't got back to that $1,800 level, you know? And I I think that's that high was one of those kind of highs that you will not, may not see again in a very, very long period of time. So I think it's a trading range market, really. If you're a buyer of lumber, you buy the lower end of the trading range. If you're a seller of lumber, you sell the upper end of the trading range. I just think that's the kind of market. Not, not a trendless market, but a $200 swing each way,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Yep. All right, so the other one I've been watching here close just because of what's you know what's been out there is, is milk. And now milk's been trading around. If you watch where it's been trading at, it's been trading at between the mid $18 range to the upper $17 range. And it's been, you know, one day we'll have a... It'll run up, next day it'll just take it all back. You know, it's just been a very volatile market. What's causing all that volatility in the, in the milk market right now?
1: Well, we had to crash after the government stopped buying right. you know, the food box program, and we yep. had this crash. Um, and it just crushed production everywhere. Um, and so now our production is now negative. The U.S. production is negative. We we're having negative production year over year. But the markets already rallied. It started rallying about a month and a half ago. On the idea that, you know, we, we eventually got this thing going. Um, but, um, you know, uh, now we're hearing about this proliferation of the virus in Europe. And now we're seeing more partial lockdowns. And, and, and so, you know, and, and, and Europe is a huge, huge buyer and consumer of dairy products. Huge. And so you know now there's concerns coming back in that maybe the demand surge that we had after we reopened you know we may may take a back seat. So the days that the market's looking around and saying maybe you know I'm going to be dumping milk on the ground again. Yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing out. You know, uh, you get these big sell-offs and then but then you say okay well but yeah but things are still better than they were. So you're getting some of this thrashing back and forth. And remember the Chinese still have a pretty serious milk shortage. Their milk prices domestically in China are near the 2014 highs. And they've been buying a lot of milk powder on the GDT uh, cash market exchange, which is a global exchange that trades every two weeks. Um, The problem is is they they typically binge buy in the fourth quarter, then they walk away. So the market's getting worried that we might be ending their buying spree and what happens afterwards. And so there's a seasonal tendency for the market to top out here You know, in November, and then fall down into the first quarter before, you know, riding itself into the spring. And it looks to me like we've already begun the downside pattern uh, in class rate. It looks like class four prices, which is the milk powder portion, might have rolled over in the last couple of days. So we're kind of bearish the milk market, Casey, into the first quarter. Um, You know, we turned bearish about, I guess, about a month and a half ago in our dairy report to our uh, subscribers, and um, you know, we would just be careful. You know, if you haven't hedged or you haven't done as much as you should, you know, I'd just be a little careful to protecting first quarter price. Things could, you know, the milk market loves to overshoot to the downside. It's just the nature of that market because it's outside of powder. It's not really a storeable market. It's it's more of a fresh market that's got to go to the market when when it's ready. You know.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. um, Rice is something else I've been paying attention to just because where wheat's at. Wow. Wheat and rice kind of battle back and forth for whichever one is the the dominant um, world feed supply for the most part, food supply for for the most part. Right now, with the way uh, wheat prices, what are you seeing in translation to that to rice?
1: We did a five hundred year study on the wheat rice relationship many years ago, and tried to determine what was the modulus of elasticity between these two key ag products that the world really feeds themselves on. Because if one's too expensive, they go to the other one. If the other one's too expensive, they go to the other one. They don't care which one. They just want to go with the one that's cheapest. So there is a relationship. And right now, rice is trading at near, the low, at near historic ch- lows in terms of rice is historically cheap relative to wheat on a 500-year basis. We're, we've rarely ever seen rice ever get much cheaper relative to wheat than it is right now. So it doesn't matter what the balance sheet says. doesn't matter what the ending stock says. What matters is that rice is the best deal in town for half the world. And they are going, A, A, they're going to buy as much of that as they can relative to wheat. And those that have it are going to hoard it. It's just the way rice is. When you have something that's that important, you hoard it and, you, and then people panic buy it. So, so the rice market in our view ha- has no... You know, famous last words, but almost has nowhere to go but up unless the wheat market were to just suddenly, you know, crash a couple of dollars, which anything's possible, but not likely. Okay, so so our view now, how high can rice trade relative to wheat? Typically, um, it's not unusual for the rice market to trade at three times the price of wheat. So if wheat's nice round figure is eight, it can trade three times or 24 25 versus the 14 and change it is right now. So just giving you an idea that, that if the rice market were to reprice to the higher end of its modulus of elasticity of price pattern, it could trade to 24 and, and and be on the other side of the value chain. No way anyone can predict it's going to go that high, other than to say if it just goes into the middle of the range, Casey, there's a pretty big move here in the rice market. So we... Thinking out loud, if you're a cash buyer of rice, if you're someone that needs to buy rice, if you're a rice buyer, it's it's probably the best deal you have ever seen or one of the best deals you've ever seen relative to wheat. So we would strongly urge those that are on the buy side uh, to lock in that cash. We just don't think that this is – and the market is starting to move, Casey. If you look at a chart, it broke through this fourteen. 35 area on the march contract and that's really a major overhead resistance Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we're almost ready for some blue sky here uh just looking at the chart you know i'm I'm not a big chartist but you could just see we're, we're almost ready to enter the the period where rice likes to really move if it can if it gets much higher than it is so it's beginning to recalibrate the price relative to wheat and so very interesting commodity um it's unfortunate that it's um not as liquid of a market as say corn or soybeans or wheat, I mean at uh, the open interest is only maybe ten thousand contracts, but nonetheless, it's still a very interesting market, one that we think should do quite well here on a relative performance basis,
0: yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at the rest chart right now, and I should go ahead and preface this. I really don't all I see is some spikes and some valleys, so that's that's what i that's my chart um, aptitude there, but. If you do look at it, you know, back in October, it was trading right around thirteen eighty six, and now it's gone. It's jumped up almost a dollar, you know, over a dollar. It's down a yes. little bit today at the open, but that's just some interday trading. But it's gone very parabolic since, oh, right about the um, like the, the fifth or so of the, well, the beginning of the month, the third of the month. It's been you hit the low there at thirteen oh two, and it's just been straight up since. So. It's been it's been Ontario, but, but, but it's start.
1: amazing that this five hundred year price has been reliable, Casey, over and over and over. Five hundred years when rice gets to this level, mm-hmm. it it, it, the, it somehow the market just knows it's time to buy rice. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, and if you do take a look at that, you know, back in well, yeah, back in May of twenty when, when all of the of uh, the coronavirus stuff was going on, it did reach a high of, of around right around twenty. Twenty fifty seven. So, you can see where that is a a staple in the in the the diet. And remember, now
1: next to corn, it's one of the highest cost crops to put in the ground, in terms of because of the high need for fertilizer, Uh the high need for irrigation. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is you know usually there's a lot of insects that are involved with rice, so it's a very expensive crop to put in the ground. So, not only is it undervalued relative to wheat, but on top of it, you have major headwinds of who's going to plant this next year unless the price compensates and and says you know we're going to put this expensive crop down who's going to fund it well they need the price to fund it and i don't think we're going to plant the acres at this price level i don't think it's going to happen we need a higher price to do that
0: yep so all right last but not least something that i pay close attention to just because of where i'm at in the world sugar right now sugar is trading at 20 cents um that's a good price for sugar right now I and mean, guys are gonna are making some good money there um we've talked about that on um the show before uh as to where where things are at what that looks like and um still waiting to see what happens with some sugar cane markets in in, in asia and those kind of things when they start to come on but as you take a look what's there it's really just been a kind of an upward climb here for sugar over the last uh last course of the month here
1: it's stalled. You know, we've really, really stalled. We hit a wall at this 20 cent level. We've talked about this that we just didn't see a lot of upside from here. Uh, the India harvest is now getting underway. It looks like a, it looks like the biggest crop they've ever had. I mean, they're looking at record exports potential coming out of there. Thailand also having a huge rebound in their production. We've talked about this that there's mm-hmm. going to be this big supply coming in. So very, very hard to see why the, the sugar market needs to go higher than 20 cents with that kind of supply coming in. And remember, even though the very good moisture in Brazil is not going to help the coffee crop because it's of the tree crop nature, it is going to definitely help the sugar crop. So we're anticipating a big rebound in sugar production uh, when they start cutting in March. And so that'll be a next level of new supply coming in that'll be larger than it was during the drought-stricken year of last year. So once again, it just seems to me that supply is catching up, and um, you know the ethanol story is still there. The ethanol story is still um, you know a, a strong. It provides a good bid in the market, but I, I, it's not enough for you know to to maintain this market or to push this market higher than twenty cents. We just think we're at the top, and we think there's a reason for the market to come down for a little while. And um, you know that's where we think we're at.
0: Yep. All right. I told you last, but not least. But this is this is truly it. this is the final final. I promise. <laughs> natural gas. Okay, so and I don't want to bring that up because of of you're talking about April natural gas and and how, how you thought there was a move to be made there. As you take a look at natural gas right now, it's still you know it's still doing what it's doing right now. I think it's opened up here at it opened at 490. Right now it's at 497, so we're up seven cents from the open. Um, I guess as you take a look, at what's going on there. It just seems like there's just nothing but upward potential here when you look at what's going on. Well, remember, when markets
1: made, markets moving in waves, so so we had this big wave on Hurricane Ida that made the market really go, and now we're consolidating back down, down, up, up, down, down, up, up, down, up. You know, we're just we're we're consolidating this very large move. This is healthy. Coffee consolidated after the frost of the summer and spent three months consolidating, and then boom, you know, the market has mm. moved you know, to the highest level since 2014 in recent days. So we think this is healthy action. We think this is the kind of action that kind of recalibrates sentiment that gets a lot of the short-term, fast money players out of the market, cleans it up, and gets ready for when the winter pattern really kicks in here in December, and we can make the next wave higher. So, you know, if I'm a physical buyer of natural gas, I'm someone that needs natural gas, Use, use these down days that, that are occurring on a regular basis to lock in your cash, natural gas, these through the spring. We think that's the strategy right now. This frenetic trading back may last through the end of the month, Casey, but we think after that we're going to get a clear trend, a breakout from this pattern and, and a clear trend back up again. Is now And, of course, the April contract is at a major discount, yeah. which normally is correct because – Normally, we're, we, we reach our lows in storage in March, and then we rebuild in April. That's assuming that we don't worry about running out. Right. But if we worry we're running out or we get close to running out, and it looks like uh, April could be uh, cold and more wintry, and we actually don't rebuild, you know, the market has a very uh, substantial mispricing in that contract. So we think the risk-reward-wise, you know, there's a value there. Uh, to be had in the April contract versus the ones that are trading, you know, a dollar and a half higher than the April contract. We think that's the, an interesting market uh, month to look at if we're correct about the late ending winter. That could really be a big surprise later in the winter season. So, right
0: on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do that?
1: Our uh, website is Hackett, H A C K E T T uh, advisors.com plenty of information on there casey as you know to get a good feel of what we do with weather how we analyze agronomy and such forth and so on to see if how we look at the world in agriculture could be a value to your listeners
0: right on well sean appreciate you being on the podcast man
1: Sounds good, Casey. Love to do it next week again.
0: Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com for all things that are Moving Iron related. So with that, I am Casey Seymour. with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, There's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer,